0: Welcome back, everybody, to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined today by Tommy, just a two-man podcast today. Tommy, how's it going? How have your holidays been so far?
1: I've been good. How have you been?
0: Uh, I've been doing just fine, I suppose. Today, we're going to talk about the draft, so the 2022 NBA draft. As long-time listeners know, Tommy is really the draft guy uh, amongst the three of us. And so I know this is an episode, Tommy, you've been excited for.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is even early for me. I haven't even watched full games on a lot of these guys, but been keeping up. There's a lot more resources now just for uh, watching condensed games, seeing how guys are doing, and it's still very exciting, but this is a weird draft class for sure. It's definitely not like last uh, last season where there was like this super stack draft with lots of exciting archetypes. This one is weird. Um, there's a lot of interesting players, but they all kind of had have weird flaws, but... There is there's a, there's a positive here, which is that we have Cade Cunningham, so that makes the fit different, and in a lot of cases, a lot easier to kind of make work, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, so we're going to go through a few guys that we think are interesting, and it's not necessarily our top six. Some of these guys are uh, top prospects. Some of these guys are just like, they are on our list tonight because of uh, they just fit a role that people have been talking about, or it's just somebody who uh, had a lot of hype early on and uh maybe we'll just dive straight into it so uh, i know that the first guy that we wanted to talk about was paulo bancaro and uh mike well, i know you have the uh the the rundown so why don't you go ahead yeah
0: all right so how about
1: actually before
0: we start talking about the individual prospects we can just talk about a uh, team needs and and what the fits we we're looking for for the pistons are now you just talked about how it's a weird draft uh, and unfortunately at this point it's looking like a draft that doesn't exactly have like the
1: player archetype for which the Pistons are looking right now yeah for sure there's a few there's obviously a lot of need for the Pistons right now I mean if if the Pistons do end up trading Jeremy Grant there's really just one guy who's like all right we can build around this person so we're still fairly early in the uh, the rebuild stages so you can't really go wrong uh, in terms of player archetype but there's certainly glaring needs and I think the biggest one recently especially with um the player that we have there currently is at center so right now it's Isaiah Stewart and we all love Isaiah Stewart we appreciate what he brings to the Pistons but I think more and more he's kind of shown that he's not a starting center and he's really not a good fit with Cade Cunningham just based off what he does and I've kind of maintained well not maintained I've been up and down on him but about 10 games into the season uh my opinion shifted to all right I think he would be most valuable off the bench and you make him a low post center because right now he is not a pick-and-roll center, and that is what Cade Cunningham needs. Uh, unfortunately, there isn't a great role man in this draft, at least not at the top, but there has been some interesting uh, discussion. A lot of the top centers in the league right now were not taken with top picks. So maybe there are guys further down the draft, maybe just go for the hyper-athlete, and you hope that you can make him work later on. Um, so that's one thing that we're looking for. And then the other is obviously shooting. Uh, The Pistons are one of the worst. I think they are the worst three-point shooting team in the league thus far uh, or very close to it, and you can't win, obviously, that way. And, again, going back to Cade Cunningham, if you want to make things as easy as possible for him, you need targets for him on the perimeter. Give him maximum spacing. He's not a fantastic athlete, uh, but he's very skilled, and he can get to his spots. But if you want to help him, make it so that guys can't sag off and play help defense on him because we saw it against – Oh, boy. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was the Knicks. A few, it was a few games ago, but they just collapsed on him every time he took it into the paint. the Heat. the Heat, yeah, the heat, yeah. the heat were double-teaming him, yeah. Yep. And it's, it's, it's stuff like that. If you make it that easy to stop Cade, you're not going to get anything done, and you're not going to make the most of Cade Cunningham. So uh, just by putting better players around Cade, you're going to make him significantly more effective, and that's the name of the game for the draft and for team-building in the future.
0: Yeah, I'd say the two needs. Like, the... the... The like the need I was thinking about was really a strong center to play him alongside, both for the sake of the pick and roll, which is almost certainly it always going to be a major stable for him. Like, Cade's not a guy who's going to be beating a lot of guys. You're not you're not going to hand him the ball and say, okay, Cade, like, you know, be this amazing ISO player and just beat guys off the dribble or do the hardened thing, where you know you score score off step backs or whatever else. It's not the sort of kid player Cade is. Uh, I think he'll develop as an ISO player. He's a very good one in college, certainly, but, though a lot of that was just pull-up three-pointers. But we've seen it. We've seen it. He can do it, but I think the, the pick-and-roll is always going to be a major staple for him, and having a guy who can run that well with him, I think, is just going to be such a big thing. Now, the two things I would look at, yeah, number one is getting that strong running mate in the pick-and-roll, and, roll. and so you want a guy who's able to do just more, more than just the pick-and-roll, but also just the secondary creator. You You need to have at least two strong offensive creators if you're going to want to win a championship. So if you get those two things in one, great. That's a lot to ask for. That's a lot to ask <laughs> for in general. I mean, a center who can create his own shot and and can serve as a good pick and uh, pick and roll man and defend the rim. Now, what you said about Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, definitely. We both were high on him last season. I remember talking about him from my end as just a guy. I think we both put it this way, a guy who just makes his teammates better. And you want to have him on the floor as much as possible for his intangibles. I think we both saw that playing against backups really hit a lot of his deficiencies. That on the pick and roll, yeah, he's just he's not a good pick and roll player because he absolutely cannot play above the rim. Like absolutely cannot play above the rim, and there is no way to make Isaiah Stewart uh, an above the rim player. Stewart pretty much just is, is what he is at this point. You t- players who enter the league that in the draft. Who've played like in the AU and the NCAA or in Europe or whatever. These guys, these are guys who are fairly close or at their athletic ceiling. Stewart's never going to become a good jumper. Like I'll be very impressed if he could add another couple of inches to his vertical. If he were a good jumper, of course, he would have gone on that draft in the top 10, without a doubt. So Stewart just is very unlikely to ever be a good big and roll center. Uh you you've said it, Tommy, you've said it today, you've said it before, that's you can see Cade really wants to throw lobs. You can't do it with Stewart. You also can't do it with a Linux really. They'll be better than Stewart's. So you obviously can't do it with Garza. It's just, it's, yeah, Stewart's not it. On offense, he's not it. If he can become like an elite three-point shooter, maybe you put him next to a pick-and-roll four. And and maybe some of those, maybe a couple of those guys we can talk about today, though, even then, whatever. So yeah, you really want to have that center. And you're right, a lot of the centers these days, a lot of the best centers don't go high in the draft. You do have some who have gone high in the draft, of course. Embiid, Towns, Davis, who's playing 70% 80, of his, yeah. his minutes at center, yeah. and But yeah, you can, if you have... If you have what you need elsewhere, though, I mean, if you, if you have like that, your secondary creator and you want to just find a center who can defend the rim and who can play the pick and roll at a high level, yeah, you can get that in free agency or later in the draft without paying a ton. So, yeah, those those are what I would see as the business who needs, though. Yeah, if they can find that center, great. That kind of do-it-all center. If they can find uh, a secondary creator who can you know create at a, an elite level alongside Cade, ideally while playing well off the ball, because I think Cade's always going to be your heavily on-ball guy also great to find in this draft but like you said this is a weird draft. So, yeah,
1: yeah, and you're not going to be able to address the the center probably in the top of this draft. Uh, at least not in the traditional sense that everybody's kind of hoping for that guy who can rim run, defend and uh space the floor a bit. At least not that hyper athletic guy. There's just no. They're all missing like one or two key components to that. But there are good players in this draft and uh we're going to talk about them today. mm mm-hmm.
0: Mhm. All right, so let's get rolling with the guy who right now is really at the top of most draft boards, which is Paolo Banchero. So so in a departure from what has typically been done, you know, you know the NBA, we knew this from Cade's example, certainly, uh, because Cade was listed at six foot eight in the NCAA and ended up being like 5'11". So uh, that's a joke, of course, for those of you uh, who don't know this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we're going to go with heights without shoes, which is how they're being posted a lot. So. Uh, Paulo Banchero, six foot 6'9", 250 pounds, 7' foot wingspan. Uh, he's a freshman at Duke right now. Is averaging 17-7-2 seven on 49-33-82 splits. So power forward, projects as a power forward in the NBA. Now, if you're looking at his pros, really strong physically, mobile for his size. though That's becoming increasingly common in the NBA. A decent leaper, strong overall touches to score, can really attack from the perimeter, can score decently from the mid-range. Uh, is developing as a three-point shooter. He's got a pretty good touch, strong around the basket, without a doubt. Plays well in the post, though. As we've said before, the post play in the NCAA generally doesn't really translate. Very few high-volume post players in the uh, in the NBA. Almost all of them are are all-stars. So, nonetheless, good skill to have. A mismatch, just really good in mismatches. Uh, like you find him a mismatch on the perimeter, he's likely to attack it and attack it well. Good handler, good footwork, good ball security, uh, decent in terms of dribble moves. Can be a secondary handler in the offense. Helps that he's actually a fairly good playmaker for others, good passer, and pretty good basketball IQ. And generally, so far, he's, he's shown a propensity for making the right decision. Strong rebounder, even though he's not an explosive leaper. And just a, a strong sort of do it all power forward on offense in, in terms of his, uh, you know, his, assuming his shooting comes along. So when it comes to his cons, not an elite athlete. And unfortunately, when it comes to uh, the first three players we're going to talk about here, uh, none of them are elite athletes. Uh, It's pretty uncommon to have uh, like two guys near the top of the board. uh, At the top of the boards right now are Bonchero and Chet Holmgren, we're going to talk about next. Neither one of them are an elite athlete. I digress. So Bonchero is fluid. Again, increasingly common. I find fluid mobile bigs in the NBA, but he's not explosive is not particularly quick. He's not a, a particularly good leaper, plays primarily below the rim. He's going to look a lot more impressive in the NCAA than he does in the NBA, where he'll be a, a, a good athlete, but not an elite one. Uh, he's not a player who's going to be really likely be able to play center because he doesn't project as a rim protector. And he's maybe not – I think he'll be able to hold his own on the perimeter on switches, but he's not going to be so ideally suited to defending small forwards either. Typically in the NBA today, forwards are just forwards – And if they're not just forwards, they're power forwards who can flex up the center. I think Paulo is pretty much just going to be a power forward, which is kind of a weakness, positionally speaking. And there's the question, can he operate effectively without the ball in his hands? Even if he's a shooter, if you're taking the ball out of his hands, uh, are you really just wasting a lot of what he has to offer? So, yeah, Tommy, uh, your further thoughts? And I, I should preface this with noting that I know a fair amount about these players Tommy knows considerably more than I do. (laughs)
1: it's that's really not the case but um okay there are there are a few (laughs) there are a few questions with paulo and going into the year one of the things that he was supposed to work on was the three point shooting and that is coming along so as far as existing off the ball that's still a question mark because he hasn't really proven uh or he doesn't have an extended track record of being a good three-point shooter and that's obviously a concern because like one of the things that we had said uh early on in this episode is if you're not the center uh, you have to be a good uh, target and that's that entails being a good three-point shooter uh, if you're going to exist next to Cade Cunningham. Uh, but as far as pros and maybe one of the intriguing things about Boncaro is that he could play that secondary creator role. And this is a discussion that's kind of come about in the past few years of the NBA where a lot of the best teams have more than one guy who can handle the ball uh, for a fair amount of the time. And having that multi-faceted uh, offense or attack really really, increases the the difficulty for the defense and Boncaro can be that guy. So growing up, he actually played point guard and then he just grew considerably. And then his natural position became power forward. And that's partially due to his mobility, which like you said, Mike, that does kind of lock him in at power forward. And then the question with that is what happens with Jeremy Grant? Now, obviously by the time the draft rolls around, uh, maybe the Pistons have moved on from Jeremy Grant and there's no, uh, I guess, concern there. Uh, And then, Boncaro, he's free to play uh, his ideal position, but if Jeremy Grant is still on the team, then maybe he has to slide down to small forward, and you you do keep that supersized lineup, Uh, but there are going to be questions of how do Cade and Boncaro and Jeremy Grant exist, because those are three guys who all demand a lot of shots, and uh, eventually it's going to be an issue of we have a lot of guys who exist at their best on the ball, and you're losing a lot when you take the ball out of their hands, so With Boncaro, those are the most interesting points with him. I want to see um, if he can keep the three ball up. And if he is a guy who is reasonably within the Pistons draft range, come draft time, uh, the intrigue is definitely like this is a guy who can uh, take the ball out of Cade's hands occasionally and do good things with it to the point where it's actually worth those touches and elevates the ceiling.
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to the fits, of course, with any fit, you have to question what, like if you're looking at value, basically. Like value is going to depend heavily upon fit, particularly when you're looking at playing a guy alongside your ostensible franchise cornerstone, who's Cade and Cade. I think we can say is we can say very confidently is going to be at his best as a heavily on-ball player, creating for others. So, what value is lost, uh, and I imagine it would be lost largely in, in Paulo if you put the two of them together, and suddenly Paulo is not playing on the ball nearly as much. So you have to look at that value equation. Is it worth drafting them? Is the fit good enough that you're not going to be losing a lot by playing Paolo next to Cade? And I have my questions about that because right now, yeah, Paolo is a very on ball sort of player. I mean, even if he can shoot, sure. He's off the ball. He would be like an off ball player in, uh, I would project in the same sort of way that Blake Griffin was with the Pistons during his good season. Like sure. You can put him off the ball and he'll shoot threes, uh, catch and shoot threes at a good percentage but you're losing so much of what he can provide and the issue with paulo is that since he's not really an above the rim player is he going to be an ideal pick and roll guy? I mean if you're picking a guy who you want him to have that off ball utility if you're picking a guy the power forward or center like we'll put it this way like if paulo were an above the rim player and like a really strong athlete number 1 you know first of all he would be the consensus number 1 overall pick period and i mean i think that would be from start to finish in the season particularly if he You know, as long as the stats really didn't take a huge plunge or as long as something really bad like really bad injury or something didn't happen, then it would be like absolutely like, you know, this is a guy who off the ball is going to be a really solid role man for Cade. And there are no questions at all, but I don't, he isn't. And so you do have that question like, yeah, if it's like you have to make him useful by taking the ball out of Cade's hands, then is
1: the fit really all that great? Yeah, it's it's going to become a balancing act, and I think that's that's going to happen anyway uh, down the line, regardless of who ends up getting drafted or who, en- who we end up bringing in. Because I don't think Cage should exist on the ball all the time. I think that's just—I don't know how many players exist in the NBA that way. Like you're, you're thinking of like the Luca role, but maybe the Maver- the Mavericks as a team would be better if they had another guy who could shoulder some of that load. Obviously. Luca is such a special player and Cade is a special player to the point where you do want them heavily on ball, but that doesn't necessarily mean you want them on ball all the time. It's about balancing it and making sure that there are enough guys who are threats so that Cade is effectively maximized. So that's more the benefit. And I think even if like, even if let's say the Pistons didn't have Cade Cunningham, I don't think a team should want to draft Boncaro as like a number one option or like a number one offensive threat. I think he is really more suited for Uh, the second chair. So maybe he is a really good fit. Maybe, yeah, he's going to lose some of his touches when he comes to the NBA. But uh, like you said, with the lack of athleticism, maybe he isn't actually owed that many touches to begin with. So uh, definitely an interesting fit. And uh, I I think on a lot of boards, the number one is warranted. Uh, For the Pistons, I'm not so sure. I don't have him number one personally. uh, But I do like the fit uh, if he is able to keep up three-point shooting.
0: Yeah, I think for the, I agree with you completely that you want more than one player is able to just take the ball and do something with it. Take the ball and handle it. The question is, how much do the two players in that equation lose when you take them off the ball? Cade, I think will eventually develop into a decent motion three-point shooter off the ball. He's not very quick, but a guy who can navigate a screen, catch a pass from somebody and shoot with a good degree of accuracy. And so he'll have some off-ball utility, we'll put it that way. He's still going to be by far at his best on the ball, but... It's, it's basically that question. When you take the ball f- away from one and give it to the other, what does the other player lose? And with Bonchero, given what Kate is likely to be to the Pistons, I think he would lose at this point a little bit too much. So I would draft him like in the second round. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, if the Pistons were in a position in which he was the top player on the board and there was somebody else lower, uh, it could be a good trade down situation. But who knows? You know, we're still early in the NCAA season, and there will be players who make improvements. There will be players who come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, we'll see. So all right, we good to move on to Chet.
1: Yeah. That's uh that's uh let's go ahead. All right.
0: So Chet Holmgren, uh so seven feet tall, about 120 pounds. No, just kidding, but that's his major weakness. We'll get to that. 195 and seven <laughs> feet. Seven, three and a half wingspan. This season he's averaging 13 and a half, eight and two and a half, four blocks a game. Uh, sixty-four at thirty-three, and uh, I wrote thirty-seven which is definitely not right. I believe it's 87 on free throws. So his pros, really just a potentially game altering interior defender in terms of his length and I, and his IQ. He, he alters shots, he blocks shots. Uh, he's just, it looks like just this uh, really projects as a great interior defender uh, if he can add mass. But again, we'll get to that. Helsing has a skill set you really don't find often in NBA seven footers. He's mobile, he's a good overall handler, he's a good overall shooter. He can create for his teammates, potentially a three level scorer. I guess he can put the ball on the floor as well, though he really very much does focus more to the, uh, operates more on the block and in the interior, in the, uh, excuse me, on the perimeter right now. Solid rebounder, high IQ on both ends, just good handle, good footwork, pretty agile, pretty quick, very long, unselfish and just a skilled player. So, you know, you can be asking if I hadn't mentioned his weight before you would be asking, well, my goodness, this sounds like a super complete player, Weak, weak, like actually really incredibly weak. Uh, 195 at seven foot is nothing. I mean, this guy makes Mobley look like Shaq. I mean, exaggerating a little bit, but really Chet is a twig. I mean, he is a very, very thin player. And there are always questions for somebody with that body type. Can they adequately put on that mask? Because not every player can do it. You're not going to be guaranteed a guy is just going to be able to go in and add a lot of muscle to his frame. There's no guarantee of that. So his slightness, so to speak, just how thin he is and... It's had consequences because he's easily moved even in the NCAA. He's knocked off of his handle. And it's going to be a big weakness in the NBA where it will be targeted. I mean, we've said it before. You all know this. That's the level of competition in the NCAA versus the NBA. I mean, the leap is gigantic. It is huge. And that's certainly very, very true on the athletic end. uh, Excuse me, on the athletic side of things, or the, just the athletic standard of the NBA is really just incredible. And so he's going to get physically abused at the NBA at that size. It'll also wall him off from playing center. I know that was a concern about Mobley, who's playing power forward and some small forward anyway, next to Jared Allen, just a, a small amount of center. But, I mean, is taller and 20 pounds wider than Evan Mobley. So, And then the other one, he's not an elite athlete. I mean, he's not a bad athlete. He can play above the rim thanks to his size. You know, he's he's quick enough and agile enough. There are some concerns about his switchability in terms of moving his feet on the perimeter. But if he were just to add like 20, if, if, if you had like a, uh, a magic bottle who, you know, genie would come out and I know I think genies don't, they grant wishes. They don't tell you the future, but whatever I'm missing on, on something in my head here, as far as the comparison I'm trying to make or the story or whatever, whatever the case, if the genie would come out and say, okay, well, I promise you that that Chet could put on 25 pounds. I'd probably take him first overall, notwithstanding all his. There's also there are also questions about if he's going to be a really good role man in the NBA, but he's playing next to Drew Timmy at Gonzaga, and Timmy is looking certainly like a candidate for National Player of the Year, and he is uh, he gets all the role action. So that's how I feel. Those are my feelings about Chet. I mean, if not for his weight,
1: but again, if not for his weight, he'd be going first overall. Yeah, the weight is it's it's, it's really like scary to look at because he looks so def- like like you said, Shaq... Uh, Mobley makes him look. Uh, just even like even compared to Mobley, this guy is skinny. And as, as far as his post defense, cause I think that would be like your biggest thing. Uh, it's not that bad because with Chet, his, his wingspan kind of covers up for it because he alters so many shots. Like you said, four blocks a game, but even the shots that guys do get off against him, that he doesn't get a hand on, like you have to shoot over him. You're shooting at unnatural angles. If you try to take him into the paint and that's kind of like the biggest thing with him, his defense, because of that can be elite at the next level. Uh, assuming that guys aren't just knocking him off his spots consistently, that's probably going to be the biggest question mark going into the NBA. Like how does he make that adjustment and how tough is that going to be for him? Cause like you said, he, he just doesn't have the weight. Uh, there are going to be guys who just go in, try to put their shoulder into him and knock him off their spot, off his spot. And uh, that is something he's most likely going to struggle with initially. Uh, is that going to carry through his career? It's yet to be seen, obviously, but uh that, and then if you try to take him out to the perimeter, uh, guys like Boncaro, when they matched up, uh, this was probably one of the most hyped up matches of the year, and we got it pretty early on. Boncaro, they, they went at each other a few times where Boncaro attacked Chet Holmgren specifically, and a few times he did just knock him off balance and take it all the way to the rim, but there were a few possessions where uh, Chet was able to stick with him and make the shot difficult or uh, block it off, off the backboard. And it's going to be stuff like that. So, Chet's not my favorite in this draft, and it does kind of come down to the weight, but it also comes down to the role that he's been playing uh, for Gonzaga this year. And there's a chart here that I have from The Ringer. This article dropped earlier today, uh, the day that we're recording this. Only 5% of his offense is as the role, man. Like you said, part of that is because it's Drew Timmy, but going back to the Cade Cunningham fit, uh, you need a role, man. And Chet. He's not going to have the easiest time getting to the rim. I think guys are really going to try to keep him off his spot and make it difficult for him to get to the uh, to the to the rim this season as a role man. He's had his struggles, and then the other thing that Chet's been struggling with this season is his outside shot. So coming into his uh, freshman year at Gonzaga, that was something that he was, you know, hyped up as being uh, capable of. People saw his jump shot. They saw that translating, but on the year he's done quite poorly. Uh, I think it's he's. I want to say four of twenty one on nah, jump shots
0: he's, outside. Oh, outside. He's uh, his three point percentage right now is thirty seven.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's 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 on low volume. But I'm talking about like just general like spot up shooting. Uh, it's uh. been quite poor. And then he's he's actually done a lot of his damage as a three point shooter has been as a trailer. Interestingly enough, but in the half court he's really struggled on jump shots. So that's a concern, uh, certainly, because part part yeah. of what made him such a hyped-up prospect was uh, the shooting, and that has not come along this year. Yeah, and
0: we found that actually his three-pits, his free-throw shooting, by the way, is not 87, it was 71, so that's a pretty big difference. So I think that, I mean, the fact that, uh, that Timmy is on the team uh, is, is definitely going to change how Holmgren plays in the offense. I mean... We're not likely to see him run a lot of pick and rolls. We're not likely to see him in the interior as much. So that is kind of makes him a little bit harder to evaluate. But yeah, he does need to be a good shooter, period. I mean, that that's such a, a vital aspect of his skill set. I mean, if you're going to draft him high, I, I feel good about his skill overall, about his skill level overall, just in general. I, I know mm. I just said overall three times in a row in different ways, but uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If, I, I think that if he can put on that mass and he's able to sort of bull his way to the rim more effectively, if he can play as a as a reliable role man, I mean, I, I have this kind of vision of of a Chet Holmgren who's maybe like two hundred and twenty pounds, which is you know big enough. It'd still be pretty slight for his size. I mean, again, Mobley is I think like six eleven and two fifteen right now. So yeah, if you've got if you've got a Holmgren who's like 220, 225 pounds, who can set screens effectively who can roll to the baskets. And I mean, he can jump enough to, to catch alley-oops by all means, but also can either pop out to the three-point line where it's, you know, good luck blocking him uh, or even just uh, stop in the mid range and take a shot. Uh, but who also has the ability to to grab the ball uh, off the roll and pass it out to the perimeter because he has that touch and he has that vision. He has that IQ. It's just so much question. Like I'm, I'm confident you know, on the basis of a limited sample size. I mean, the guy just is very skilled and by all accounts, is a very hard worker and has good touch on his jump shot, even though he's struggling as a three point shooter. I feel like he'll get it together as a shooter. It's just the question about the weight. My goodness. I mean, we were talking about our questions about Mobley's weight and this <laughs> is like
1: triple that. Right. Right. Yeah. And then getting back to Holmgren's uh, shot selection. So it's pretty interesting here. So there's more data here from synergy, uh, about 20% of his offense is spot-up shooting, and he is in the 8th percentile on that. And then in transition, it's just under uh, 18%, and he is 99th percentile. So wow. open floor, yeah, he's excellent. That That's pretty staggering. Like it's it, it, it When you watch his game, it doesn't seem like transition versus spot-up would make such a huge difference because he gets his shot off over people because, obviously, the wingspan. Uh, but for whatever reason, he's just... Significantly better in transition, so that'll be something to watch for uh going on into the year because I think the Pistons are eventually going to be a team that runs, and that's something that I've noticed about them. If we're going to make that connection back to the team, um, this team really does like to run and they do work hard, and especially when you think about like the Reggie Jackson teams. Like, no offense to Reggie Jackson, I know he was tired and he had asthma and everything, but uh, he would walk the ball up the floor in transition. We just didn't get those points a lot of the time, but. This team, like they go for the rebound, and or even when they score, they just they go straight back, and that's very impressive. So maybe if you're just looking at the stats and you're looking at the, that distribution, uh, maybe that does make Chet Holmgren more appealing. But that does surprise me because one of the things that he actually does have, and maybe they're counting this as post up offense, in which he's a uh, 81st percentile. Uh, he has the Dirk one legged fadeaway, away, and he does it in the paint. And I don't know what his percentage is on that, but it looks pretty. And it's pretty much impossible to stop because of his height and the angle that he's getting on that. So there are obviously reasons that Holmgren is uh, so well-liked in this draft.
0: I mean, it's worth noting that right now the guy is shooting 77% on two-pointers. Yeah, um, and
1: part of that I, is yeah. I mean, once, you, once, he, once he gets around the rim, like he is getting every offensive rebound and he's getting a lot of putbacks and stuff like that. And then he's had a few games against like really weak teams that absolutely inflated his stats, but okay, it's, it's not like he's just, yeah, it's not like he's just, uh, it's not like it's, it's, it's not reflective of his actual skill. Like he's absolutely a menace around the basket. It's just mm-hmm. establishing that position and then keeping it. Right. Yeah. So
0: when, it, yeah, when it would come to the fit with the Pistons, um, I mean, I, it's like I said, I would feel pretty good about it if not for his weight. Again, if we were picking like a 225-pound Chet Holmgren, I mean, there would be no question about who's going first in the draft. I mean, even, you know, regardless of his other issues, you have this this highly skilled seven-footer who doesn't have any – you know, really doesn't have much in the way of physical concerns. So I, I can only really think about how we can discuss it, his fit in terms of if he gains weight. I mean, that that's for any team. It's going to be if he can gain weight is that I think this is a player who is significantly less effective as a power forward. Like Mobley has gone over and done it. He's playing next to Jared Allen. Mobley is considerably quicker and, uh, and considerably stronger. I mean, Mobley, it, it should be noted how strong last draft was. I mean, the Pistons got the first overall pick and a very strong draft. So, I mean, most years Mobley would be the, uh, no question, number one overall, you know, consensus number one overall pick. You could say the same thing about Jalen Green. Uh, Last year was properly put across as you know the the draft with three number one overall picks in it. So assuming so if Chet doesn't put on weights and you have to play him a power forward, he lose a lot in terms of his rim protection, and his interior defense, which is such a big deal. And Mobley is able to roam around and do it and, and alter shots that way. I don't think Chet really has the quickness to do that. He's no slouch, but yeah. So if we're looking at his fit, yeah, if you think okay that uh, you have a Chet who doesn't have weight issues, then Again, I think you can make a pretty good role man out of him, and I'd feel pretty good about it. He's not likely to be an
1: elite creator, but I'd feel pretty good about the fit. Yeah, it's like you said. He's no slouch defensively on the perimeter. He's still going to be able to keep up with some guys and alter shots. Uh, he's With his weight being as low as, he, as it is, he is actually able to keep up with a lot of guys. He's fairly agile. He can uh, move fairly well. It's just going to be a matter of our guy is going to knock him off balance and then kind of take him out of the play. And then the other thing that certainly is – Huge problem if you try to make him a power forward is the shooting, the jump shot, which is all but abandoned him this year. Uh, it's kind of the reason that he's falling uh, down a lot of people's draft boards, and we'll see if that's a good decision. And he obviously has time to fix that, but the jumper itself is not looking. Well, the jumper's got to come along, period.
0: For sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. but I, I don't know. Like, again, I don't think – I think you would lose quite a bit defensively moving him to power forward. Like, can he keep up with the guys? Yes. Can oh, he, yeah, no. He can has he, can to he, be a center. Yeah, can yeah. can yeah can can he still exert the same sort of defensive presence as a power forward that Mobley mm-hmm. has managed to do because Mobley is special. I don't think so. I don't yeah. think you can do that. I don't think you can put him a power forward and have any sort of comparable impact. The jumper, yeah, the jumper just is a necessary part of his game. I mean, he's a skill player,
1: right? So yeah, he, he, his yeah. his biggest thing and the thing that when you watch him you will notice is just the way that he alters shots around the rim. Mm-hmm. He's just unbelievably good at that. Like he, he it's. It looks inhuman at times because one, he's just that skinny, but two, like he, his his reach is just out of this world. Guys do not know what to do when they get to the rim and it's Chet Holmgren with his hand up. Yeah, definitely. So, so you'd lose a lot. You'd lose a lot if you exactly. play can't play center. Yeah, no, you don't want you don't want him to play uh, power forward. If he's gonna be in the NBA, it has to be at center. He he will yes. be a phenomenal defensive player there. Uh, just in the way of altering shots. It's just gonna be a matter of you know, our guy's going to be able to take him out of position and knock him off balance. That's the only concern that you have defensively. And again, that stems from the weight. So uh, that's apt.
0: And what do you think about the fit as far as, I mean, I know pretty much in terms of fit, we're basically talking right now with the fit with Kate Cunningham, like maybe Jeremy yeah. Grant is a major, is a major facet of this roster. And right. I, I don't think that there's much question about whatever you can make Chet Holmgren and Jeremy Grant. That's not a problem. It's uh You know, there aren't really any other players right now you look at and say, oh, we need to really build around them. The Pistons, you know, Sadiq Bey, I think if he's the fourth best player on a championship team, then you're in great shape. It's pretty much just Cade and maybe Grant. So, uh, but basically what do you feel about the fit between he and Cade?
1: Well, I've seen at Gonzaga where Chet has tried to space out to the three-point line and open things up in the paint. And that helps when you're playing next to to Drew Timmy. But as a role man, which is pretty much what we're talking about here uh, is like the ideal fit next to Cade. We just haven't seen enough. Um, Obviously he's a seven footer. He's fairly mobile. You could probably make a decent role man out of him, uh, but he's not the supreme athlete that you kind of want. And even with his catch radius being as massive as it is, it's just going to be more like get the ball to him and you have to get Chet close enough to the rim that he's just going to be able to finish with length as opposed to uh, strength. So I, I, it's hard to say whether he'd be a good role man. Uh, it's kind of theoretical at this point, but you could be optimistic about the fit if you believe in Chet's ability to kind of impose his will on the defense. I think it would just kind of stem from that. I'm, it's, that's probably something that we would watch uh, as the season rolls on. Maybe they will use him more as a role man because right now you just don't see too much. Yeah, I think if he can develop a good role man, I think if he had a good fit
0: there. If not, then you just got pretty much a strong defensive center who can stretch the floor on your back to just needing to find Cade that guy somehow and you need to find him a power forward. Mm
2: -hmm. So it's
0: just a weird question of fit. Again, you said it, I'll say it. It's a weird group right now as far as as
2: qualities go. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: So moving on to Jabari Smith Jr., who has definitely impressed this season, so Six foot nine, 220, seven foot one wingspan. He's averaging 16, seven and two on 45, 45, 84 shooting. So that's right, 45 percent from three on pretty good volume. So his pro is excellent, very fluid shooter. Uh, he's a good spot-up shooter. He's shown a lot of potential on pull-ups, high release, just pretty shot mechanics. Uh, he's developing his mid-range game as well. He's pretty fluid and quick as a mover. He moves like a guy smaller than he is. And just really, in my opinion, noticeably agile. Good overall handle, just decent moves off the dribble. He's developing just overall as a face-up scorer is really what he projects as both as a shooter and on the drive. He's he's been doing better. He's been improving and parlaying the threat he represents from the perimeter, where you really have to guard him closely, into attacking off the drive. Fairly reliable defender who moves his feet pretty darn well, and just really has upside as is potentially a high-level shot creator. You know, if not a guy who may not, you know, if a guy who may not be long-term great at attacking the basket. So his cons again, Mike Holmgren, like Banchero, not an elite athlete, like uh, Banchero, he really plays mostly below the rim. A questionable future as far as the interior goes. And for me, the primary con, what is his upside? If you're taking him like in, as a top three pick.
1: Right. Honestly, this is another one where it's, it's going to come down to the fit with Cade. And I think when you consider Cade, uh, Jabari Smith is a great fit for the Pistons, but, uh, Yeah, no, we can just just jump straight into that. I think of his impact as similar to Chris Middleton, where his shot is going to be so unstoppable, and you're going to have it on such high volume that he's going to score you like an efficient 20 in his prime. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we say you want to give Cade more options. This is exactly, this is like a perfect example of it. Uh, Jabari Smith is not going to be a guy who demands a ton of usage, but you can put the ball in his hands, and I think he can make uh, good decisions. He's shown some acumen for passing, but it's not a ton. I think right now the touches that he gets outside of shooting are just because he is their best player. And in a lot of cases with these guys, you just give the ball to your best player, even if it's not like the role that they're suited for or the role that they're going to play when they get to the NBA. Uh, I think Jabari is a perfect example of that. But like you said, the biggest thing with Jabari is that 45% from three. That is phenomenal. And he's 6'10". and Difficult shots too. Right. Yeah. A lot of difficult yeah. shots. Yeah, uh, and he he does it on a variety of, of attempts. Uh, he looks good as a trailer pull up catch and shoot. He can do it all, and it looks super solid and consistent. So, if if you want, if you what you're looking for is spacing, Jabari Smith, he addresses your need at power forward. Uh, I don't I don't think he's fast enough or agile enough. That's probably my biggest issue with Jabari Smith. I don't see a ton of agility. You see a lot of fluid. Uh, movement but like as far as like stopping and starting i don't see a ton of that and that's probably just because he's six ten and pretty heavy it's difficult to move a body like that agile Uh, but that's not what he needs to be he just needs to be a guy who can play off of cade catch the ball put it up and you're gonna get a lot of three-point shots out of him and a lot of makes and that's exactly what you want from a guy like this in this draft Uh, this is probably one where in most drafts you wouldn't be thrilled with the pick because he is functionally going to be a very high usage role player but next to Cade cunningham who is going to uh command a lot of usage that's exactly what you want and i'd be more than happy with taking jabari smith with a high pick so you'd
0: see him as kind of like a hybrid joe harris chris middleton a guy who can shoot really at a, did a very very high percentage on catch and shoots and can shoot well as a motion three-point shooter but can also take the ball and
1: create jump shots for himself yep yep and he gets to his spots pretty easily he He's not like a soft player at all, and I know I said that his agility kind of lacks, but he is able to get to his shots and elevate. He's a great stop and pop threat, uh, in addition to being a great catch and shoot threat. So he could probably be a second option, uh, maybe a third option if you're a really good team. But uh, he's, I think, he has tremendous upside on the Pistons in terms of fit.
0: Yeah, I could agree with you there. I mean, it's definitely very. I mean, if you' an elite shooter of any capacity is great. You know, a shooter in particular who can create his own shot. And when it comes to Cade, yeah, having that option, having a guy who basically needs to be face guarded because he can get a shot off, at, you know, it looks like pretty accurately, you know, thus far anyway, pretty accurately with a hand in his face even. You can't, you can't give him that space. He's tall. He has good elevation on his shot, and he has a high release. So that would be good. Having a secondary creator would be good. It's just a thing you think about. And again, if he's the best you can get in terms of overall value, and we're looking at value in terms of talent and fit, then... You know, cool. If you have the number one overall pick, maybe you take Jay, uh, maybe you take Jabari Smith. It's just your question. Like, yeah, maybe it hurts a little bit having a guy whose ceiling really isn't that high. If you're if you're spending like a top three pick on a guy who's maybe like the the Middleton guy, like the third the tertiary creator on a championship team, that might hurt a little bit. It, you might start. You might think, okay, should we go with a guy who is who has a higher upside? Maybe is less of I don't know if you did. Maybe at that point, Jabari Smith Jr. will be considered a sure thing. But that that would be my only concern if the Pistons are picking high. Now, if the Pistons are picking, like, number three or number four, I know it's a top three pick. But if you're picking, like, number three or number four, that's a different story. Yeah, but honestly. It's
1: a minor distinction. Yeah. Jabari Smith, he did not stop, uh, start the year in the top three discussion. I think no, he started, like, 10th on most boards. He had upside, but uh, he's rocketed his placement in these in these boards because of his three-point shooting and the way that he's managed to maintain it nobody's stopping him and and then as far as the fit going back to Cade if we didn't have Cade yeah I probably would not be excited about this pick but right now I don't know if this is something like that we were going to talk about at the end of the episode like where we have guys on our boards but I would take Jabari Smith number one yeah I would take Jabari Smith number one like happily and it's it stems from his fit with Cade because I think it's it's probably the easiest one to make work, and it's going to take the least away from Cade's game, and it's still going to raise the ceiling of the team considerably. Like he's just that good. Um, I if when you watch his games, uh, look at the elevation that he gets on his shot. That's going to translate to the NBA, and it's going to be similarly unstoppable. Because that, that it's it's like a watered down version of what KD does. Now, obviously, it's Kevin Durant, probably the greatest scorer of all time, probably the most unstoppable jump shot. But in that same vein, like he stops, elevates, and then releases high, and he's already 6'10", long arms. So I think that his shooting would translate immediately, and we've already seen that as Jeremy Grant has uh, been out for the past few games, and as Kate has played with basically no options around him, the defense really hones in on him. This is going to be a guy who's going to make things good. That's the primary value. Well, I'd say not since the primary benefit. I mean, uh, anybody,
0: I mean, any shooting is going to make it easier on Kate. You want a guy who's really going to, yeah, I can see what you're saying about the fit, put it that way. All right. So moving on to number four, this would be, uh, geez, I always get mixed up on the Wins and the Jadens. This is uh, the (laughs) three of them, Jaden Ivy. So six foot four, 195 pounds, six foot 10 wingspan, uh, 20 years old. He's the only guy in this list who is a sophomore averaging 16 and a half, five and a half and three and a half on 51, 39, 71 splits. So, pros strong athlete overall, explosive, fluid, quick, long, good handle, good footwork, good agility. A pretty good off-ball player in terms of cuts and shooting. Has shown some playmaking upside on the ball, though does not project as a as a primary guard. You know, primary creator for others. Uh, he's shown upside as a pull-up three-point shooter, a guy who can shoot threes off the dribble. Though, I think, you know, Tommy, I think you and I agree that he may be overperforming in that respect. But potential as a motion three-point shooter in general. Fairly good defender, strong attacker in general. His cons, mediocre basketball IQ. Uh, his free throw shooting is concerning. And most of all, for me, unclear if his shooting will be consistent. So, yeah, for me, I don't know. Why, why don't you take it away about Ivy? I mean, I, I, I think my feelings about him are pretty basic. Like, can <laughs> he stick? Can can he be a good off ball player in terms of his shooting? Can his, what? you know, will his shooting keep up? And, and again, if you
1: take him off the ball, is he going to be a really high impact player? Right. So Ivy does handle the ball a lot uh, at Purdue and he is playing next to another point guard. So I'm not too concerned right now about whether he's going to be able to share the ball. Uh, It's more about how does that fit balance with Cade? And that's probably the bigger question here, but I'm actually very pleased with what I've seen from Ivy. He was one of the guys that I was really excited to watch coming into the year. Like you mentioned, he was the only sophomore And uh, he had a really great showing at uh, USA basketball uh, for the under 19 team. Just phenomenal athlete. And that's probably like the thing that caught my eye first. Uh, We, we need athletes on this team and Cade as good as he is. uh, The one big thing that he lacks is athleticism. So this is kind of a discussion that we've had with Hamadou uh, because I don't believe in Hamadou's upside unless he's a pretty consistent three-point shooter, but he's actually kind of proving me wrong. He's Stuff in this stat sheet, and he's he's getting his buckets just by way of hard work. Uh, yeah. Ivy is kind of similar in that way. Coming into this year, I was really wondering whether Jaden Ivy is going to uh, up his three ball because last year as a freshman he shot. let me I want to check the number. Yeah, t- just under twenty six percent from three, and this year he's just under forty five percent, and it's on decent volume as well. He's, he's shooting four point seven per game. Uh, he's been up and down with it, kind of inconsistent, and then he's had like games where he's been a flamethrower like he had he shot six of six against butler uh games like that but he's getting it off in a variety of ways he's some some of them are pull up some of them are catch and shoot and i tried i we couldn't find the data on uh his catch and shoot versus his uh off the dribble but that's kind of the big thing like if he's going to exist next next decade he needs to be an off ball threat in the half court because he's not exceptional there i think his biggest strength is kind of in transition because he really he can push the ball and he has like he turns on the jets in transition uh just a supreme athlete handles the ball very well attacking the basket but in the half court he's going to struggle a little bit more uh if he can't uh, shoot the ball uh he needs to command respect from perimeter defenders and that's because if he can't then he's taking away from Cade's game and then the fit is really bad so there's a bit of a risk there and that's definitely something that Uh, We're going to continue to watch as the year goes on for Jaden Ivey. We want to see if he's able to keep his three-point percentage consistent, and uh, if it's up and down, because the scouting report needs to uh, indicate that Jaden Ivey needs to be respected. uh, Otherwise, he's actively taking away from the offense, and then it's just another, well, I don't want to say it, but it's it's like another uh, situation similar to Hamadou, where it's like, yeah, this guy could be really good, but he needs the ball in his hands, and then Uh, if the team is like, all right, well, if we're going to maximize our picks, we have to take the ball out of Cade Cunningham's hands a lot more. And that's not what you want. What you would want ideally is a guy who is capable of moving off ball, driving and kicking, which is a strength of his and uh, shooting the three as necessary. And then in transition, guys, an absolute demon. You want him there. So having multiple options uh, in Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey at his peak is a really good team. But uh, if Ivy can't keep that three ball up, a lot of things kind of fall apart for him.
0: Yeah, I would also feel better about having his skill set in you know, in a body the size of a forward, rather than having <laughs> yeah. just be concentrated in the backcourt. But exactly, yeah, the question, the question the yeah, yeah, the question is the same about uh, as it was about Bonchero. I mean, when it comes to Ivy, like, can he be a good role man? No, I'm just kidding. He's six four. Uh, so, <laughs> um I mean, you know, he, if he, he can, can yeah, if he's he can, I mean, room player. Yeah, yeah, if he can, I mean, <laughs> that like would I'll be doing it. that way. But yeah. That would be very unprecedented. That would be that'd be very very impressive. An elite, an elite six foot four roll man. It's like fantastic, dude. You must have an excellent vertical. Yeah, seven foot vertical. So whatever the case, yeah, the question again comes down to like I feel good about his athleticism. Certainly, anybody who feel good about his athleticism, he's got NBA ready athleticism by any standard, like upper level NBA athleticism. And if he can get that shot together, like you can shoot off the dribble, you can shoot motion threes, whatever. Then, and fantastic. Again, it becomes a question of uh, what's the fit with Cade. How good can he be off the ball? Reminds me a little bit of like the uh, Willard McCollum situation. Like, bear in mind uh, first and foremost that CJ McCollum is not a very good player without Willard on the floor. I mean that that should just be noted. I mean Willard is really the straw that stirs his proverbial drink. It's a lot like that with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry as well, but. Like, Thompson loses a ton without Curry, but not nearly as much as McCollum loses without Willard. But your question is, like, these two guys who both have, you know, who are both most effective. I mean, they're both in the backcourt. They're both most effective on the ball. And what are you losing by putting them together? And is that really where you want to be concentrating your talent? So in order for Ivy to be a good fit with Cade, like, sure, you want to have that secondary creator, period. You don't want to have a guy who's, who's going to be like, oh, well, you know, I feel like I'm a point guard and the primary guy, but, like, I'm just playing kind of out of position or you know outside of my the role that I want. That'd be my concern with Ivy. That he's just not that kind of player. But what would you need in order for him to be a good fit next to Cade? This guy would need to like he's already a good off ball player. a good off ball mover, excuse me. I mean that's good. You gotta be able to shoot motion threes, for example. And that would be a big deal. And it's, it's just have to find a way to have them synergize. Again, we're talking a lot about Cade, but I mean he's the prospective franchise cornerstone you want to have guys who add to
1: each other rather than taking away from each other do you see that pod being possible with ivy it, it's all going to come down to the three-point shot I, I try to think of it as like what if you put ja morant on the pistons because that's the comp that you get all the time when you watch uh, Jaden ivy they both have that same for well it's hard to say anybody has the same athleticism as ja morant but it's kind of like a slightly watered down version of John ja morant and that's still a very very good player uh but the archetypes aren't exactly perfect. And I think if you really want to maximize them, uh, Kate is, a, he's shown acumen for off ball work. And I think it would be so tempting for the coaching staff to be like, all right, we're going to put the ball in Jaden Ivy's hands uh, wherever he's at his best. So that would be like transition and an attack mode. And then Kate is going to be moving around on the perimeter. And while that's good for giving Kate a breather. And so keeping him engaged on defense and not having it. So he's pounding the ball every possession. Um that's probably there's probably a balance to be struck there. And if you don't get that right, uh it will be frustrating for everybody, especially the fan base, because we all know how good Cade can be. It's just gonna be about uh can we find that balance so that Cade isn't getting you know, everybody's attacking him, uh, but he's also maximizing his skill set. Yeah,
0: I I just I don't have much belief in the guard two man game at the NBA level. So I just it's it's a hard model. It's a difficult model to to, yeah. to work effectively when you have like so much of your scoring talent loaded into your backcourt. Like, yeah, a few
1: episodes ago when tired. we talked about like what's the ideal fit for Cade uh, for his backcourt mate, we I said it was something like Clay Thompson, like a guy who's low usage, high percentage on three point shots, good defender, and uh, can take move uh, motion threes. You know that would be ideal, but you know top of this draft class is none of these fits are ideal except mm-hmm. for well maybe. Yeah, not even Jabari's but you kind of have you should still take the best player available and just go for the talents. If if it doesn't work, you know, Jaden Ivey would presumably still have a lot of trade value and while it might suck to, you know, move on from somebody like that pretty early on. Uh you don't want to draft for fit this high. You want to draft for need. Huh. Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, though, yeah. though I think fit does come into d- does come into play more. Again, it does. Play, Everybody to... says
1: that, but you yeah. can usually predict out. You know, the top of a draft cycle based on fit. Yeah, or, or just just based on talent, you mean? Yeah, like when the Warriors took James Wiseman second overall a few years ago. I mean, yeah, there was I some people fit there. From, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, that's a weird situation because it's the Warriors. They were just in a down year, but a lot of drafts can be predicted by that. It's like positional need. Uh, where in the starting lineup are you weak? A lot of times, teams do draft for fit.
0: Yeah, teams can even even high up. Yeah, I just think yep. that fit is more of a consideration when you have a player like Kate, not just a player of his caliber, but a player who's going to be playing probably very heavily on the ball, and is going to be yeah. his, at his at his best in in that capacity. So, all right, let's move on to just a couple of players we wanted to touch on. We're not going to spend as much time talking about them. Uh, number one is in part because they're both pretty basic players. Number one is. Jaden Hardy yes Jaden that's right uh six foot four He's uh, getting close to about 200 pounds now is what he is uh, is what he is listed at in the G league and he plays for the G league ignite six foot nine uh wingspan yeah six foot nine wingspan excuse me and is averaging 18 four and a half and three which sounds good until you take into account that his splits are 35 27 88 <laughs> so yeah basically his potential is as an elite shooter, like a guy who can pull up from anywhere, including from well outside the three-point line, and can do some handling, a you know, decent passer.
1: Right. As, as, it sounds as, weird to say that his, his potential is as a scorer or as a shooter, but coming into uh, his he's with the G League Ignite, like you said. Coming into that season, he was billed as a four-level scorer. Like he was the guy who was taking those really deep threes, and a lot of people were really excited about his potential, Uh, early on in the season before his stats really kind of, well, killed that. Uh, But I I wanted to bring him up because he's actually kind of improving a little bit. So one of the big issues with Jaden Hardy is that he's not an elite athlete. Uh, He doesn't have a ton in the way of burst. And then at the high school level, that was fine because he's still a gifted athlete relative to his peers. But at the G League level, uh, he's had to make adjustments and it's been a rude awakening And Initially, it was really ugly, and right now it's just sort of ugly because he actually is making improvements, making the adjustments that you need uh, to see from him, and kind of learning to play around athleticism. And maybe as his confidence improves, you'll see that uh, he and his shot selection and his shot percentages will improve as well, and that's kind of what you're hoping for from Jaden Hardy. Uh, right now, I think he's he, he was kind of seen as like a consensus top five, even top three pick. Uh, coming into this draft cycle, and he's kind of regarded maybe as top 10 now. A lot of people have him lower, but I think he still has a chance to turn it around, and he still is worth watching. If he did improve significantly, and he does look like that four-level score that he was billed to be, uh, he could potentially be a really good fit next to Cade. So there's some excitement there, and if the Pistons felt like he was that player and wanted to trade back or trade down for him, maybe he is enough.
0: Well, he could move up the boards again if he really... Discovers a shooting touch at the G League level. It should be yeah. noted, in all fairness, that the G League is a more difficult league than the NCAA. But yep. yeah, you said. I mean, when it when it comes to his cons, yeah, not a good athlete. You also got some issues with tunnel vision in there. Is not necessarily going to be the guy who makes the right pass. We got questions about his IQ, and yeah, it, his upside would basically be that guy who can shoot from anywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, so- that's, that's that's what you're looking at. he has got to be able to shoot from anywhere, otherwise, some. Much 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 much, much less impressive player
1: exactly at his high school uh, or his prep school, he was playing a bit of point guard for them, and that is not an ideal fit for him. He doesn't have the court vision or uh, the court awareness to play point guard, but again, he's going to be playing next to Cade Cunningham, so he doesn't have to be you know a primary option or a creator nearly as often. He can play off of Cade Cunningham, and this is where that uh, you know that high level score who's playing more of a secondary role, catch-and-shoot role, movement threes, or an option on the perimeter, this is where that fit kind of comes into play. And initially, when he looked like that four-level scorer, uh, that potential fit was really exciting. Uh, And then the G League is supposed to be able to teach you to play defense, especially at the NBA level. I truthfully haven't been keeping up on his defensive prowess. He's kind of fallen off a bit in terms of hype. Uh, But he has improved quietly, so he's still worth keeping an eye on and just... Another name, maybe down the line next summer, uh, we get to see who uh, is at the top of the boards. Maybe he is still there. Yeah, but definitely,
0: is, is had a disappointing start to his g Week season without a doubt. Absolutely. All right, the last one, Jalen Duran. This is the Jalen of the group. So <laughs> 6'10", 250, 7'5", wingspan. He's averaging 11, 7.5, and 1 on 67, 0, and 60 splits. I don't think he's taken a single three and three blocks per game, roughly. His pros, strong, explosive, excellent weeper, long, very, very, very good athlete. Just easy potential as a strong uh, rim runner and and a strong interior finisher, dunker, so on and so forth. A good rebounder, like it projects as a very good rebounder, as has looked like a pretty darn good rim protector so far, and certainly switchable. His cons, no offensive agency, can't really do anything of, of his own accord, cannot shoot, bad free throw shooter, though his form just looks wonky, looks fixable. And also concerns about his basketball IQ, concerns about his motor. Uh, on the surface, you might say this uh, sounds a little bit too much like Andre Drummond, and I would agree. I, I don't think you do have very few players who come into the NBA and have Drummond's issues with work ethic and focus and maturity. So I don't think that's likely to be repeated. But this is basically a guy who's just uh, maybe his ceiling is just as a highly athletic traditional center. And if he can play really good defense, you know, on the, in terms of rim protection and on switches and be an elite role man and an elite finisher under the basket, then cool. You know, maybe that's like, if there weren't questions about IQ and motor, uh, I would feel a lot better about him, but there are those questions. And so I feel a lot right. worse about him.
1: It's, it's probably worth noting that he's pretty young, even for this draft class. And then he's playing at, uh, Memphis with the Monty Bates. Yep. Yeah. And there have been kind of questions as to how good of a coach Penny Hardaway is. I mean, great recruiter for sure, but there's, there's just been a lot of questions there, but yeah, I was really excited about Jalen uh and coming into the year because he is that, you know, highly athletic, super vertical. He gives you that above the rim presence for sure that we desperately, desperately need sometimes on this team. Well, all the time, really. Uh, but the problem is, he is kind of one-dimensional, like you said, traditional center, and you need to expand your game. Bigs are getting more and more skilled in the NBA, and it's not like a Greg Monroe situation where he's too slow. It's just he doesn't space the floor at all right now. I was really kind of hoping he would show something as far as like a face-up game or a mid-range jump shot. He's, I think he's shot a few of them, but not nearly enough to where you could get excited about it and be like, yeah, that's a projectable skill in the NBA, so... That's really the issue with Jalen Duran. Uh, he's still worth keeping an eye on. And if the Pistons were to somehow fall in the draft, and Jalen Duran is there, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up with him. But again, the questions are with Motor. Like you see, sometimes he just isn't giving it his all. And maybe this is something that Isaiah Stewart has just made us more aware of. And then you compare it to a guy like Jabari Smith, who is playing hard all the time, gets super animated when uh, when he makes a good defensive play. You just don't see that fire from. Jalen Duran sometimes, and you would like to, is because he has the athleticism, he has those highlight blocks, those highlight lobs, and it's, you don't see that that love of basketball sometimes. So there are concerns there, and uh, but otherwise, you know, talent is talent. You can't teach the kind of vertical pop and the body type this guy has. He, I mean, he's built like a grown man. And he's where,
0: where have we heard that before? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm probably not selling you on this guy so hard, am I? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all.
0: I mean, if there were, you said it about Weaver, and and I agree with this that Weaver drafts people rather than just players. I think that's yeah, the way you put it. I don't, I don't know how you put it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. that's he, he. Yep. Yeah, uh, so player, people, not players.
0: Yeah, so I don't think that he'll go in and draft a guy who, if he looks at him and says, "Okay," I just don't think that this guy has the will or the work ethic or the focus to really get it done or the maturity if he's anything like Drummonds, I mean, I don't think Weaver's going to come anywhere near him. But yeah, I mean, if if you had this guy's skill set to go alongside with good focus, plays within himself, good work ethic, and just a hard worker, I'd feel a lot better about it. It's the questions about his focus and his motor that really drive me off because it's not just because of Drummond. It's because if you're going to be a traditional center in today's league and you're going to be worthy of this high of a pick, you like a strong work ethic, like a, a, a really kind of tireless motor has to be one of your qualities just has to be. Yeah. I mean, that sort of work ethic is important for anybody, but if you're going to be a traditional center and you're going to be effective, you got to have a good work ethic, like period. It is doubly important for those guys. You got to be greasy. You got to grind. So you got to work really hard, be physical and so on and so forth. And of course we can look at Drummond who doesn't do any of those things. Maybe it's changed to a degree this season after he's become afraid for his money and his place in the NBA, but prior to the season didn't do any of those things. Sure, we've seen the extreme end of that, but it's like it's just it's such a necessary quality for any traditional center now. So if we didn't have questions about that, I'd feel better about him. Because I do agree with you about his qualities. Like if he can be an elite rim runner, an interior scorer, and a really strong rim protector and overall defender, then sure, I mean, it hurts to give up on the shooting. Shooting is really nice to have. But you could say, all right, yeah, you're right. You can't teach that like really elite athleticism. And you can't teach that, uh, you know, that really long wingspan and that explosiveness and whatever. But that work ethic's got to be there, just got to be there. And who knows? Maybe if it matures by the end of the season, you you feel better about it. But like I said earlier, yeah, when it comes to all these players, it's worth noting there is almost certain to be a player who goes rocketing up the draft boards over the course of the season. We are only in December. Yeah, it becomes like. this is a, a
1: super early draft board for sure. But yeah, just where the Pistons are this season, I think a lot of people are just kind of looking to the future. And this is definitely the best way to build a team uh, with high picks in the draft, especially if you're a market like Detroit. Yeah, And it's, it's always, for me at least, super exciting just to look at the potential and uh, think about what can this guy bring to my team. So uh, we love talking about this stuff here. Uh, the draft episodes always get a lot of uh, engagement. And, uh, we appreciate that and given the state of the team and the fact that the, the team itself isn't really playing right now, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that this would be a good time. For sure.
0: So why don't we wrap it up with just a, we'll go with the top five. I think we can leave Jaden Hardy out of this just because yeah. he's such I mean, an unknown right he's now. Falling down, yeah. But you know, yeah, basically for him, he has to recover his shot or he's not really much. Uh, there's not really much upside there. Uh, as it looks, uh, as it looks right now, I want to do. But if you're looking at the other five players, how would you rank those
1: in terms of the Pistons? Uh, you know, when it came to draft night. Okay. Yeah. Um. It, this isn't necessarily my top five. There are a few guys that we didn't get to in this episode that we will almost certainly get to uh, later on in this year. Guys like Kendall Brown, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, guys that we just I haven't done a ton of research on. But yeah. as far as the the top the five that we've discussed today, uh, Jabari Smith is my number one. Uh, I think that his fit with the team, he would be plug-and-play immediately, and I think his impact would be felt. Uh, Next would be Paulo Boncaro. I'm intrigued by his upside. Yeah, he's a positional locked fit, but I think he addresses a lot of need, and assuming that he keeps up the three-level scoring, I think he could be incredibly valuable. Next for me would be Jaden Ivey. Then this is, again, banking on uh, the idea that he keeps his shooting up, and he's done so th- thus far. And uh, he was a guy that I really liked coming into the year. So the fact that he's, already, he's shooting 45% right now, uh, as unsustainable as that really feels, uh, maybe that averages out to something that is significantly better than the 26% that he was shooting last year. You know, he knows what he needs to work on, plays with a ton of fire, works very hard, comes from a basketball family. I think his mother, she's the coach somewhere at some big school. Uh, so a basketball family, a basketball mind next right now would be chat for me uh, just because there's kind of unknowns on his fit cuz the jump shot isn't there right now and he hasn't shown a ton as a roll man and then last right now would be jalen duran and it's just that motor and well the motor issues and uh the lack of a face up game or any uh, acumen for spacing the floor uh, but you can't teach that athleticism you know he would be a fun player at the very least but he's a, a guy of his archetype i would feel a lot better Uh, taking further down the draft. Maybe there's a guy who's like 80, 90% of what Jalen Duran is. And you, uh, you pick that guy up and you try to Mm divide.
0: So for me, I don't know, probably long time listeners have have deduced that I'm, I'm very generally unwilling to venture any sort of opinion unless I have a lot of data. But so, so this is a little bit out of character for for me, I guess I'll just go with like, we don't have a lot of data. We'll, We'll know a lot more in maybe like three months, but uh, so I'm going to get a little bit weird here, I guess. So if one could guarantee me that Chet Holmgren will put on 30 pounds, I might take him first overall just because I feel so good about what he can do as a defender and just as a skilled scorer. And, and seems like also guys, just an ideal teammate. Uh, number two for me would be probably Jamari, Jabari Smith junior I'd be number two, Tommy, for the reasons, uh, you've enumerated, assuming he can really become that really high percentage, three point shooter. who can play this sort of Middleton role, but shoot even better on spot-up threes. Number three would be uh, Boncaro. I've been calling him wrong, Boncaro, this entire time.
1: I've heard it both ways. I, yeah, okay, I've, I've stuck with Boncaro as of late.
0: <laughs> yeah, either way. I guess for him, I would have trouble picking between he and Ivy. I'd probably go with him just because I feel like he has more, a higher probability upside as far as reaching his ceiling. I, I, I think he's just stands a pretty good chance of getting there assuming the shooting comes along. Whereas with Ivy, there are more question marks and Ivy number four for the reasons I've, i went over before, just tough to make that really backcourt heavy fit work questions about how well he can play off the ball next decade. And then Duran, yeah, just uh, I'm a big fan of the athleticism, maybe bigger than I should be because the Pistons are so lacking in it right now. And I just, the motor, the IQ, the decision-making, but the motor, really the motor. I'm not, you can't, just you can't pick a guy that high, in my opinion, unless you feel good about that. And then also there's some trauma from the drum Dears, no doubt about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, uh, at this st- stage in the, the draft cycle, it's it's hard to get weird with uh, these uh, with these mock drafts because there are valid reasons to pick these guys exactly where you pick them. Like I have Chet number four. A lot of people are going to think that's crazy. Um, you have Chet number one. I, I just have... Concerns about his frame, his injury potential. like He falls down a lot, and he takes hard falls. you know, Stuff like that really worries me. Uh, but it's an interesting draft class. It's going to be an interesting draft cycle. I'm excited to see where our boards go, and I'm sure they're going to change all throughout the year. So uh, we're going to keep doing the research on these guys and uh, hope you'll stick around and keep listening.
0: Absolutely, for sure. Uh, we'll definitely have plenty to say about the draft as the season goes on and certainly as we get closer to it. All right, folks. Thank you all for listening as always. Hope you're having a good holiday season. Catch you in the next episode.